At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Thanks for tuning in to our series, The Follower's Trail Guide, Navigating the Path of Jesus, where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? As we walk through Jesus' farewell discourse to His followers in the book of John, we'll learn how to follow in the steps of Christ as He marks out the way of discipleship for us. If you have your Bible this morning, would you please open it up to John chapter 14. Uh, John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31 are where we're at today. We're, we're kind of continuing to walk through this section of John's gospel in, John, in chapter 13 uh, through chapter 16. Uh, some scholars call this the farewell discourse. This is Jesus' teaching, his, his final teaching before he heads to the cross. They have so much to do with his 12 disciples and, and their lives, but so much help and relevance for us uh, today and how we would live. So we're calling this series The Follower's Trail Trail Guide, uh, Navigating the Path of Jesus. And so Jesus doesn't leave us alone and say, hey, figure it out. He, He clearly gives us direction. He shapes us and shows us the way because that's who he is the way. So we're going to keep walking with Jesus and listening to him. And again, if you have your Bible, open it up to John chapter 14, uh, verse 15. How do you know if someone loves you? Maybe a dumb question, and I know there's a few dumb questions that are out there, but how how do you know if someone loves you? I don't think it should be a a mystery. It's obvious, right? They display it. They show you they love you. Love for if someone loves you, it's being communicated to you in some way or another. I don't think there's any like unless they're kind of a secret admirer or something like that. There's really no such thing as like secret love. Like it's it's shown, it's displayed. You figure it out. So so they use words of affirmation. They they talk about you. They perhaps maybe one of the you know and these are kind of the popular things. The love languages. They they buy gifts for you and you're. Love is communicated to you, and that means maybe, maybe they pay special attention and block out time, special time, just to be with you and to uh, encourage you, tell you they love you, whatever it is, just their, their presence is communicating love to you. And perhaps it's with appropriate means of physical expression and touch that, that, again, they're displaying and telling you, showing you, I love you. It's, it's there. The main thing is, though, if you're asking the question, how do I know if someone loves you, it's that they show it. It's apparent. It's, it's obvious. So here's the question that this passage raises, at least for me, is how do others know what I profess and claim that I love Jesus? How do other people know that to be true? Or maybe, maybe a little bit more uh, <laughs> slower or deeper in the questioning here is how does Jesus know that I love him? How does, you ask the question yourself, how does Jesus know you love him? If clarity is kindness, then Jesus gives a whole lot of kindness and clarity to the issue. He, verse 15 right here, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That is not an obscure statement. <laughs> it's very, very clear, right? Though, I just, those who truly love Jesus obey Jesus. They keep his commandments. It's displayed. They walk and they follow him. The real problem, though, with that statement is not so much with what Jesus says here. I think it's, it's us. 
<laughs> we have a real problem with that statement, and that is that we want to justify ourselves. We want to make sure, oh, that he's talking about me, right? I love Jesus, and so like in him saying, they keep my commandments, well, I, I want that to be true of me. So we ask the question, and we begin to work around in our heads, well, which commandments is he talking about? Right? Like, all of them? Does he mean every one? Like, which, which one specifically, Lord? Like, which one is the one that if I keep that one, then that display, like, that is sure evidence that I love you? Okay. Well, again, Jesus is clear. He's kind in that. So, as we've been studying through John 13 to 16, back in John 13, Jesus said this in verse 34. He said, a new commandment, okay, same word here, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. So if we display love to Jesus by keeping his commandments, and his commandment is that we love one another with the same kind of love that he had for us, which was namely him giving himself for us, sacrificing himself for us, now we love Jesus by loving others. We display our love for Jesus by loving others the way Jesus has loved us. How are we doing on that? <laughs> Uh, the real trouble with all of this, if I could just kind of keep going down into the depths of what this means, is that we're not really good all the time. We're not perfect at loving each other, and we know it. We're failure. I want to love Jesus, but I don't obey him perfectly and his commandments, and so that raises a really uh, just heart-wrenching question, maybe an anxiety-driving question. If I struggle to love others as Jesus has loved me, and by my keeping that commandment or not keeping that commandment, I'm displaying love to Jesus or not, the question is really, do I love Jesus? Because I'm not always doing a good job of obeying his commandment. It feels like the impossible commandment, doesn't it? It's not the new commandment. It doesn't feel like a new commandment. It's like impossible. I don't love others well. That's my kids. <laughs> And I struggle with that. And if Jesus says, you, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, then am I really loving him? So what do we do? What do we do? What does the good news have to say for us when we're stuck and we desire to love Jesus, but we struggle with obeying him as he has called us to do? I want to do one thing this morning, and that is to, to squash a myth or a perspective of Jesus that only sees Jesus as a hard taskmaster as someone who's just cracking the whip, demanding perfection, crying out for obedience, and, and where there's disobedience and rebellion, striking out in judgment against anyone who would fail him. I don't want you to see Jesus as a hard driving, putting you under his boot, oppressive master. And we know the Bible, Jesus is full of grace and truth and love and mercy and help to his people, and he knows that too. The scriptures declare him as one who is gentle and lowly. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It's easy. And learn from me. And you will find rest for your souls. So if Jesus is full of grace and love and mercy, and yet he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How does this all work together? How does our desire to love him and our imperfection in obeying his commandments get answered by Jesus' grace? How does Jesus supply us with help to stay in him as we journey on the way? 
Well, let me just condense this whole passage into one statement for us, a big idea here. The answer to that is this. Jesus sends the Spirit to help us on the way. Here's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has come, he has lived, he has died, he has ascended to his Father, and he has sent for us his Spirit to empower us, to equip us, to strengthen us, to be in us and with us so that we make it home. He gets us on the way. He hasn't left us alone and said, hey guys, I love you, but figure it out on your own and do it perfectly. He's given himself for us. It's such good news. Jesus sends the Spirit to help us on the way. So let's go, let's go back into the passage here and go into the context. Remember, Jesus is with his uh, 12, now 11 actually, disciples in the upper room the night before he's crucified. He's told them, one of you is going to betray me. They're like, oh man, that's troubling. One of you is going to deny me. Oh man, that's hard. And I'm going to leave. I'm going to depart. And whew, everybody's hearts are just full of trouble and worry and concern. But Jesus has said to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm with you. And he keeps going on in that line of encouragement and building them up. And, and what he says here isn't just for them, it's for you and me today, because this is true of us. He has given himself for us on the way so that we walk with him, so that we might grow. So I want to just unpack from Jesus this statement that I've made that Jesus sends the Spirit to help us on the way. I want to unpack three ways that the Spirit has been sent by the Father and the Son to help us on the way so that we can love and obey him. So let's just go through these as, as succinctly as I can together. First of all, Jesus declares that the Spirit has been sent, the Spirit of truth has been sent to dwell within us. But the Father has sent the Spirit to dwell within us. So he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But he just doesn't leave it at that line. His aim in teaching his disciples on the night before his crucifixion is to encourage them, it's to build them up, to strengthen them. So he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and, don't miss that word in verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Now think about it. Here's Jesus and he's getting himself in the game. He is active in our care. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father. Already, Jesus going on our behalf. Jesus is for us, for our spiritual growth and success, for us being saved and rescued by his grace. He goes before the Father and he says, Father, send the Spirit. Send the Spirit for them. Send the Helper for them. He is fully vested in our being glorified in him. Jesus here, he lays out some descriptions. We don't often talk about the Holy Spirit. It's, uh, he is one of the members of the Trinity, but oftentimes some have called him the forgotten God. And so Jesus just helps us get an understanding of who the third member of the Trinity is, the Holy Spirit. And he does that by some descriptions of the Holy Spirit here in verses 16 and 17. First of all, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give, so the Spirit is a gift, he will give you a helper. The word there in the Greek is the word paraclete. And the English Standard Version, as it says helper, that, that hits and hints on what that word means. The idea of a helper, someone to support, to supply, to equip, to come beside and serve. Uh, some other translations have the word listed as uh, the advocate. And they borrow off of and, and lean into the uh, cultural meaning of that word in the Greek language of being a legal counselor or a court advocate. And the idea floats with that, that the Holy Spirit is one who speaks up on our behalf, but not just a professional lawyer. The word that would be a paraclete here, an advocate, that idea was, somebody about, was something about a friend, a close and influential person 
who would be in your corner, who would step up on your behalf. Other translations use the word counselor, but they don't mean it in the kind of therapeutic counselor or someone who can hear you and then give uh, wisdom and advice back. He's talking more of like the, the counselor who advocates, who supports, who stands in, who speaks up for you, directs you, gives you true wisdom. Now think about this. Jesus is saying, I am going to ask the Father to give you, to send to you this helper, advocate, this one who will stand beside you, counselor, comforter is another term, that's, uh, how it's translated, to be with you forever. Jesus is giving himself. John in 1 John uses the term paraclete to describe Jesus as one who is an advocate. So just as Jesus was a present friend, a teacher, an encourager, a leader, an advocate, and help, so Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will send the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, for you, and he will serve and lead and help and support in the same way I have. But he will be present with you. So first of all, he's the helper. Second of all, Jesus describes the, the Holy Spirit as, in verse 17, the spirit of truth that the world cannot receive because it see, neither sees him nor knows him. When Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth, he is just, he's just echoing, and John describes the spirit this way throughout his gospel. He's echoing one who bears witness or who gives testimony to the truth. The spirit isn't some independent rogue agent. He is fully God, completely God, and his ministry is to exalt God, namely Christ. And so he doesn't go run off and say whatever he wants to of his own will and accord, but the Holy Spirit, in conjunction with the Father and the Son, lifts up Christ, speaks the truth, points to the truth. John's testimony of the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit bears witness of Jesus. Jesus will say in chapter 16, just a little bit later, he will glorify me. The Spirit communicates the truth, namely Jesus, who is the truth. His mission is to put the spotlight on Christ and to glorify him. The world won't always get that, Jesus says. The world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you, disciples, you will receive him. You will, you will know him. And why is that? Well, this is the third thing. Because the Father and the Son have sent the Spirit to reside or dwell within the believer. The Spirit has been sent to live within us. Jesus says he will ask the Father to send the Spirit the world will not receive him. They don't know him or see him. But because the world, or because the disciple of Jesus, the follower of Jesus, knows Jesus, believes Jesus, he will receive the Spirit. He will dwell within you and will be with you. Now, this description happened. It was a historical event. Acts 2 describes the day of Pentecost. The disciples were together in the upper room, and the Spirit was sent visual form of flame of fire of tongues upon each of them. And they went out and they declared the good news of Jesus. They proclaimed Jesus as the King and Lord and Messiah and Savior. The gifting of the Holy Spirit is normative for every Christian. When you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, you were given the Spirit who indwells you, lives within you. As Jesus says here in John 14. You know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. And this isn't a temporary gift or presence either. The Holy Spirit resides within the believer, as Jesus says, forever, verse 16. He will give you another helper to be with you forever. 
So you're not abandoned. You're not left alone. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'm skipping out of town to go be with my father. Figure it out. He sends the spirit to live in us and to be with us for the rest of our lives until we see Jesus face to face. Forever he is with us. The good news of that is you have the presence of God in you and with you right now. So just as Jesus says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. The Holy Spirit, because he is God, brings us into full union and community with God the Father and God the Son. Now, why is this helpful for our obedience? The Holy Spirit, who is fully God and dwells fully within us, is present to help empower us aid us, assist us, strengthen us to live in union and love with the Trinity. To, be, to do otherwise would be contrary to who he is. Let me put it this way. God the Father has sent God the Spirit to dwell in us so that we will love God the Son. The Spirit was sent to dwell in us forever. He lives and abides within every believer in Jesus Christ. So you, you have the power to keep his commandments. You have the power to love him. It's the Holy Spirit resident dwelling within you right now. Now we can glorify God for his grace and his gifts. But Jesus keeps on. He, he talks about a second way the Spirit was sent to help us. And that is maybe just take it one step further. The Spirit was sent to keep us in the truth. To keep us in the truth. Now go with me to verse 21. Jesus says it again. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So very similar if not identical to what he said in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you have his commandments and keep them, he who it is who loves me. And Jesus continues, he says, he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now note this isn't just a linear statement. If this, then that. Jesus is not speaking of an upside down logic to the gospel and saying, well, I gotta really know if you love me. And if I see you love me by keeping my commandments, well then, guess what? I'll, I'll release my love to you. I will, my Father will love you finally because you have worked hard at it, you've kept my commandments perfectly, and now we love you. John is not speaking in that kind of a linear arrangement because it's against the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is God has loved us first. John says that in 1 John 1. We love because he first loved us. Or you just roll back to the very beginning of John's gospel. Go back to John 3, 16. For God, it starts with him, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So we've got to keep the gospel order right here. God loves first. He gives his son. The son dies in our place so that whoever believes in him won't perish. And as we believe in him, we're gifted the spirit who keeps us in the love of God. He sustains us and builds us in the love of God. The circular, this is the way that John is saying it is a relational reality, a sphere of love of God first in sending his son for us. And we get it. That's what he means by Jesus saying, I'll manifest myself to him. We get it. We see Jesus and we are kept in the love of God by the spirit who, who works within us and characterizes our relationship with God with mutual love. Jesus is made manifest or real. We see him, we believe, 
And we're placed in the sphere of God's love. The Father loves us. The Son loves us. We love the Father. We love the Son. We love the Spirit. Now, one of Jesus' 11 disciples, his name is Judas too, but this is not the Iscariot betrayer guy. Judas asked the question, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? When Judas hears Jesus saying, I will manifest myself to you, he's thinking politically. He's thinking of the Messiah in their cultural understanding. The Messiah would come, he'd march up to Rome, he'd kick in the door of the palace and be like, I'm the king now, everybody get out. And the entire world would go, yes, Jesus is the king, he's the Messiah, and I'll worship him. And Rome would just be done away with. The new heavens, the new kingdom would be established. Well, that's not how Jesus came. The way of Jesus starts not with the spectacular show and prominence of power, but by a suffering sacrifice, by humble yielding of his life rather than taking up power. And we receive that good news by faith. Now, here's where the Holy Spirit helps and empowers us. Jesus says back to Judas, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And the Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever doesn't love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now, let me help you think this through about how the Spirit keeps us in him. Jesus says in verse 17 that the Holy Spirit sent from the Father dwells. Circle that word, underline it, whatever you need to do to mark it in your Bible. He dwells with you and will be in you. And here in verse 23, Jesus says, The one who loves me and keeps my word has the love of the Father, and we will come and literally, the word is dwell, make our home. We will dwell with you. Because the Spirit already dwells within us, he is going to ensure we stay in the love of God. And that God will dwell with us. The Spirit will keep us in the truth. I could point out several passages. I'll just show one. For 2 Corinthians 1, where Paul says, It's God who establishes us with you in Christ. And God has anointed us. And it was him who put his seal on us and has given us his Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. A deposit. A seal. The point is, if Jesus has given us the Spirit, the Spirit is going to keep us in Jesus. So how do we keep these commandments? How do we display our love for God? The Spirit is sent to help us on the way, and he does so by dwelling within us. And then the next step further is he keeps us in the truth and in the love of God. And thirdly, then, one more step in, the Spirit teaches us the truth. So you see the order here, the Spirit dwells within us, he keeps us in the love of God, and he communicates to us the truth of God so that we know him, so that we believe, so that we grow. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to dwell within believers, keeping him in the truth, and the means by which he does that is by teaching believers the truth. Jesus speaks to these things in verse 25, the 11 disciples before his death. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. So he says, I'm saying all this now. But the question is, how will they retain his teaching? They're about to go through a pretty significant emotional, relational, spiritual trauma. To see the guy they've been following for three and a half years executed in the most violent way. They're going to run and scatter. And they're supposed to carry along with them the lesson that Jesus has given them, the, the teaching that he's uh, communicated to them. They're supposed to remember that and keep that down the road. As, as, as Jesus goes to his death after that, like, I'd forget everything. He'd be like, I don't know what happened. 
So how do they remember it? How do they keep it? The answer is the Holy Spirit. Verse 26. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now this promise is particular to the 11 disciples in that moment. That they would take the teaching of Jesus here in the upper room, they would remember it and they would advance it, they would share it, but the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers and enables them to do that. This is called the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. We know the teaching of Jesus because the Holy Spirit inspired these men to take Jesus' words and to write them down. Paul says in 2 Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's spoken out by God. Peter says, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So good news. You have the teaching of Jesus today. You have the very word of God. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. You have these for you now to encourage you, to enable you, to support you in obedience to him because the Holy Spirit has spoken them out and has led these 11 disciples in teaching them all things and bringing to remembrance all that I have said to you. That's the doctrine of inspiration. But there's something more here for us as well, the doctrine of illumination. Because the Holy Spirit, still to this day, takes the Word of God and opens our hearts and minds to understand the Word of God and to apply it into our lives. This Word is for us as well. The Holy Spirit is the one who, as we hear the Word of God, as we read the Word of God, as we study God's Word, the Holy Spirit breaks open our hearts and says, this is for you now. Live this out. Sister, this is for you. Believe this today. Hear the good news, know this, and the Holy Spirit, through his work of inspiration, is constantly communicating the truth of God to our hearts and our lives so that we live and grow and walk with Jesus. It's an amazing reality. The Spirit takes the word of God, addresses it to the heart of the believer so that we are encouraged and convicted and comforted and directed. As Paul said, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correction, rebuke, instruction, application, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped, lacking nothing. One German reformer put it this way. The Holy Spirit does not act and operate separately and independently without the Word, nor does the Word act separately and independently without God and the Holy Spirit in converting man. But the Holy Spirit acts simultaneously and in union with the Word, through the Word, and in the Word as His usual means. And the Word works with the Spirit from the power that is divinely bestowed, and thus they accomplish by one and the same action, one effect and activity, the conversion or the transformation, the sanctification, the growth of a human being. So let me say it this way. If you distance yourself from the word of God, you're distancing yourself from the Holy Spirit. The myth is that we need to find, you know, like the, myth, the, the, the spirit is talked about as some sort of force we need to tap into or, or find, that we need to kind of do some yoga or something like that and get into a transcendental state or climb a big mountain and commune with nature and there the Holy Spirit shows up and mystically and magically transforms our lives. No, the, the Spirit takes the word that he's spoken and brings it to home to the life of a follower of Jesus. And, and in fact, the Spirit won't lead you to do anything to say anything, to believe anything that is contrary to Scripture. 
So if you say, well, you know, God told me to rob that bank. No, he didn't. That's just an extreme example. But I hear it all the time. Well, God led me to do this, and the thing is not biblical. It's not true. It's not in keeping with the Scripture. God didn't lead you to do that. It's just what you want to do. The Spirit works in congruity with the Word. Let me say it positively. If you want to hear from the Spirit, if you want to be in touch with the Spirit, if you want to experience the Spirit, if you want to live in the Spirit, then you must hear from the Word. Be in touch with the Word. Experience the Word. Live in the Word. Because that is the means by which the Spirit communicates and teaches us. That's where He's working. The Spirit and the Word are inseparable. What does this have to do with us? Jesus concludes this passage by telling his disciples that in sending the Spirit, peace will come. He says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world do I give it to you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And then he told them to rise. Let's go from here. Here's Jesus saying, friends, be at peace. Don't worry. Relax. I'm going to do everything needed to secure you and bring you home. Jesus goes to the Father through means of his death on our behalf, his resurrection and ascension. Jesus overcomes Satan, who he describes as the ruler of this world, by laying down his life in obedience to his Father. And Jesus sends his spirit, the advocate, the helper, for us to dwell in us, to lead us on the way. Friends, the good news is that Jesus is firmly for us and will bring us to his Father's house. He will not lose one of his own. So when you hear Jesus say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, don't be intimidated. Don't be stressed or anxious or feel like you have to perform perfectly to win Jesus' affections by your perfect performance and your willpower. Remember that he has loved you first. He has given you his spirit who dwells within you and will keep you in the truth and teach you the truth so that you will love Jesus. Get yourself in the word of God and let the spirit show you the glory of Jesus so that as the spirit says in 1 Peter, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy The same kind of joy that says, if you love me, you would have rejoiced. You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul. Jesus has sent the Spirit to help us on the way. So let's go to him, rely on him, depend on him, and he will get us home. Love will abound. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.